0: again into the letter to the Corinthians, the 15th chapter, the 1st Corinthians, the 15th chapter, looking at this text as Paul writes to them, those who can stand a reading of God's word, uh, want to lift to us out of this verse, looking uh, kind of to focus on verses 12 to 19, I want to lift up verses 13 and 16 in our hearing. Reading from the New Living Translation. If everyone's there, hope you are there. Keep your Bible right there. Hopefully you'll arrive to the same conclusion. You're going to stay right here in this text. Verse 13, New Living Translation reads, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. Look at verse sixteen. It says, "And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised." Mm, y'all see, he wrote that twice. I think he's trying to get a point across. He may be seated. Want to deal with the subject matter on this morning? Hope in this gospel. Hope in this gospel. If you can help me announce that to your neighbor, make sure they caught on to it. Tell your neighbor, hope in this gospel. I said hope in this gospel, because I'm not talking about another gospel. Earlier in this text, Paul says that there's some that are preaching some other gospel, and because of that, that, that other gospel, they shall perish because it is not the true gospel. He says, I preach Christ and him crucified. In this same text, this 15th chapter, he goes on to say that I am only preaching the same message that you heard from the apostles. This is the same message I preach. Think about this: that he is writing to Corinth in this first letter. Some historians and within the text, it suggests to us that he's written more letters to them than the two we have. That there might be two that are lost would suggest to us that he has an affinity and a good relationship with them, and so therefore he's speaking from a personal experience of him preaching and teaching with them. And he says, "I preach this gospel." Earlier in the 15th chapter, he says in the first verse, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. To preach this gospel... Is to preach hope of our salvation. But what is the gospel? Paul, in this section of his letter to to Corinth, is explaining to them this gospel message just as it was preached before him. He says, I want to remind you. I see that, right? You know, you remind somebody of something that was done before. Can I remind you of this? Can I remind you of that? It's trying to have someone to recall, to remember something. And he says, I want you to remember what you believe when I preached the first time. So what is this gospel? To understand this gospel is to see all of the ingredients or the elements that make it up. For example, when you see a cake, you don't see all the ingredients that went into the cake. You see the final product. You see the icing. You see the decorations on top of the icing. And then when you cut through the cake, then you can see inside of the cake. And sometimes it depends what kind of cake it is. You might see some strawberries in the cake. You might see some chunks of chocolate in the cake. You might see some caramel inside the cake. But you don't know any of this until you open it up and you start looking at it. Then some of us are not good enough that our sense of smell can't tell. we got to taste it to find out what else is in this cake but the baker knows what's in the cake cuz they put the ingredients within this cake the gospel message to us is sort of like that kind of a cake that you look at it and you can see it you can appreciate it but not until you take a bite of it can you fully understand everything that's went into it can you look into this text and find with me these ingredients that Paul talks about he says Christ died for our sins he was buried. He was raised on the third day. There's proof of his resurrection that some 500 witnesses have witnessed him. And look how he speaks to them within this letter. He says, some of them are still with us. He's letting "No, so I'm not lying. So you don't believe me, go ask somebody else uh, that has seen him. But yet I can tell you this, that I too have seen him. He put himself among the number as well as Jesus' brother James, as well as Peter or Cephas. So he gives evidence of this resurrection. Can I first unpack to us about this gospel message that he died for our sins? Another theological term is called substitutionary atonement. Christ had to die for our sins for the wages of sin is death. This gospel message suggests to us that Christ had to take our place that is why it is substitutionary atonement, which means to be atoned. And we heard it so well, and am I right about it? To be, have atonement means to be at one, meant, knowing that we were at odds with God, we were enemies to the kingdom of God, but yet God decided to make us one with him. And the only way to make us one with him is that Christ had to die in our place. Oh, that's the gospel message. That he took our place. The reason why is God is an holy God. And since God is an holy God, if we stand in his presence, we're going to find out how quickly we are not holy. Can I throw this in to, for us to grab that when the devils who possessed the people when Christ was walking, how they trembled in his place. They were scared of the presence of the most holy one, understanding that they could not last in his presence. One time it was so bad, they say, at least put us into these pigs. We we know our punishment is coming, but let us have a little bit more fun. Just let us get into those pigs over there. It's amazing how even the devils understand who God is. Watch out, somebody. That they tremble in his presence, but yet those who say they know him act like They don't know him. The gospel message tells us that our God is a holy God and we are sin and we are messed up and we can't stand in his presence. We need to be redeemed. We need to be set free. And the only way this was done by our Lord and Savior taking our place on the cross. Do you understand how messed up sin really is? Because to understand the gospel message, we have to understand that sin is something filthy and something dirty that is totally filthy and smelly. Has anybody ever been around something that had a, such a putrid smell, a sour smell, that you could not stay in that room long enough? And, 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 and if you were in that room and somebody came behind you, did you not watch to see their face? Because you knew it was so strong, you knew their face is going to let you know that they smell the same thing you smell. When something is that bad, and so you want it out of your presence. Do you understand that's what we are to God in our sin? We are a sour, stinking, mess of smell. But yet, he says, I will cleanse you. Mm. I will make you fresh he will make us like a sweet-smelling Savior done to him. You need some help, go back a little earlier. First Corinthians says that we amongst believers, we should be a sweet-smelling, but to those who are perishing, we are a putrid smell. Let me help somebody out that's understanding what's going on here. When you know Jesus and you love him and it's shown in your lives, those who do not love him, those who do not care for him, don't want you around them. Because they know you will expose sin, you will address sin, and you will deal with sin. Let me help somebody out. You know somebody that got an issue with drinking, and as soon as you come around, you're going to let them know why you're getting drunk all the time. There you go. I done asked you to come over here to give me a lecture, but I can't sit around and watch you kill yourself in sin. Oh, some of you say, well, I got a drinking problem. You got somebody you know. That got a stealing problem. So every time you come around you gotta let her know, where'd you get that TV? How'd you get that? I know you don't have a job, so how'd you get it? Oh there you go, getting it in my business. I just want you to live right. So I don't know anybody that's still, all right, let me get this a little bit personal. You know somebody's tongue's not controlled. And so every time their tongue starts gossiping or they start cursing or they start slandering, you want to remind them that the Bible tells us to love one another, to bless and curse not. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Now they want to say, Why you always gotta be talking about the Bible stuff? Because the gospel message will move us to tell others the goodness of the Lord. Because this reveals to us that we are imperfect, and he is perfect, and and therefore he must die. You know, when he dies, I mean, his blood had to be shed. The Hebrews writer says it this way, according to the law, one, one one may also say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Or some say they have the remission of sin. Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar every first Sunday? When we celebrate communion and we celebrate what Christ said that He is, this is My blood, which we poured out for the remission of sins. We understand that it was His blood, because someone say His blood. It was his blood that washed us and cleansed us and set us free so that we would be forgiven of our sins. One element I'm trying to tell us of the gospel message is that Christ had to die for our sins. The theological term is substitutionary atonement, that he was the substitute. He took our place on the cross to die in our place for his blood to be shed for our sake so that we might be forgiven. His blood had to spill. The third element I want to, I'm sorry, the second element I want to suggest to us is that he was buried. We, we talk about he died, but I want you to know he was buried. And, 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 and I want you to grab this, that when you watch a movie or you watch, read a book, you know oftentimes they put a point in that movie because it means something. Even, 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 how they put other things in the background, it means something. I, I, I like like watching movies, especially like suspense movies and, and 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 things that are trying to like a, a crime. They're trying to figure out the end, and I try to figure out to see if I can figure out what the how the writer was putting together and say, can I come to that same conclusion? And I get excited when I get it before the end. Like, yeah, I was good on that one. I, I could pick up the clues because they put in, they want you to follow along. They want you to see what is going on. The gospel writers, they let you know that he did die on the cross. They all tell you about the cross, but they also tell you he was buried. It's in there for a reason. Let's catch on why it matters that he was buried. His death was necessary for our sake. Jesus was obedient to death, even death on the cross for our sins. So we understand he had to die, right? To set us free. But what does it matter that? He was buried. Well, it suggests to us that just as he died for us and he was buried for us, we too must die to our sins and bury our sins. Let me help somebody out. They think about this, that if you bury something that is dead, do you go back and dig it up? Y'all quiet on me. It's all right. Because you're thinking about how you went and dug something up, didn't you? You said you were dead to this, you were no longer going to do this, but you went on back, found your tombstone marker and said, here it is. But you understand that if it's buried, it means that we should forget it. We should let it go. Tell your neighbor, let it go. Because we have been forgiven, and and one definition of a literal translation, to be forgiven, is to release or to let go. What I want us to understand, if God has already released us of our sin and our punishment, why are you still holding on? We need to let it go. And so when we let it go, we start realizing that no longer am I living for what is dead, but I am alive. Because when he took our place in atonement for his sins, and then, then he died for the wicked. He, he, is, he, he, he crucified for our sins. Our sins were nailed to the cross. And think about this, about how he was buried. Think about this, how he died. That who died it wasn't just a man, but it was a God in the form of man. That's where we get that theological term, the incarnation of of, of God in the flesh. This gospel message suggests to us again that there's a holy God who came in himself, put on flesh of form, and died on the cross and was buried. Y'all catch that? This gospel message, I want us to grab that many times when people say, I love the gospel, and when they talk about the gospel, they might be talking about music. They might be talking about a worship experience, but they're not talking about a transformation that should happen in their lives. Because when we are talking about this gospel, as Paul is talking about, he's talking about a God who died for our sins in our place and was buried. And look how he's speaking to them. He's speaking to them in the time that is not as the same time as now, but back then, Greek mythology was ruling. And they had many gods, not just one god. They had many gods. I, I, I encourage you if you want to learn some history about more of these Greek mythology gods, just go and get uh, Homer's Iliad. And 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 I opened up Homer's Iliad. As I was looking at and I, and, and and also you can get the the, uh, the Odyssey, and you could look at it and and you start finding out that Zeus had a daddy. I was puzzled all my time growing up. Look at this Greek mythology. I thought Zeus was all by himself, self-existent. But no, he's not like my God. Zeus had a daddy. That means he is subordinate to somebody else, but he's the great supreme God. But yet he gets overturned by everybody else. How are you the God in control, but you are dependent on the prayers of the people? And so when you start looking at this Greek mythology that he's given to them, they understood of gods and many gods and many ways of doing things. But he says, no, I'm preaching this gospel message about the true living God that died on the cross for your sins. And this is transformational to them because they heard all these other gods who would care less about them. All these other gods could care less about them. These gods would not die in their place. These guys would not suffer in their place. These guys would rather put wrath on them and punish them than die for them. But yet our God, who loved us so much that he decided I'll die for you. Oh, is that good news? That he took our place. His death was necessary to satisfy the debt that was owed by sin. Do you understand that the wages of sin is death but the Gift of God is He turn of life, what? Through Christ Jesus? You understand that everything we have is through? Mm. So Christ had to die. And look when he died. He died while we were yet still sinners. He died for us when we didn't know the way. He died for us when we could care less about Him. He died for us. And even that thing about in the gospel records, look at the gospel text, that when they were yelling crucify him even louder because someone was trying to set him free they were getting mad at Pilate. come on Pilate, you're playing around we said crucify here i thought that's not good enough all right maybe if i let barabbas go because y'all i'm sorry put out barabbas and jesus Barabbas, a known criminal a known person of being a writer a looter breaking into your house stealing your stuff maybe if i put him out next to the one that y'all have really no charges against maybe you might say let jesus go but they said no let the criminal go and kill him. Mm. He took our place. He even died for them that could care less about him. Mm. So you understand that he died for us, and, and look, he was buried. Colossians Paul wrote that letter too. Look what he says in 2nd chapter, verse 12 and 15. It says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Talking about our Jesus. We should see, we should see our old nature, our sinful life, buried, for it is dead. The old should what? pass away, and behold, all things become new in Christ Jesus, we should understand that we should no longer walk around dead, thinking we are alive.
1: I see dead people.
0: (laughs) Think about how we are walking around thinking we are alive, but we're really dead. Not too many here now. We got so many saints in the house and we're alive and filled with the Holy Ghost. But at one point in our lives, We thought we were living the life, but we were dead. Those we thought were talking to us, and we were talking to them. They were looking at you and saying, I don't see you. I see dead people. But now that we are alive in Christ, for we are raised with him. Y'all see that part, right? And Colossians says that we were buried with him, and also we were raised with him. Yeah, you understand, again, this gospel message unpacked that he died for us, he was buried for us, and he rose for us. Before I get to the resurrection part, he was buried. Again, we too must bury our sins, must bury this old form of life, and live alive in the spirit. So this, this part of this, do you understand that our sins were nailed to the cross? are always a life that have been nailed to the cross. If that was nailed to the cross and it died on the cross and then they buried it, why are we trying to dig it back up?
1: We need to let it go, realizing that he has let it go.
0: Mm. Because 1 John 1 and 9 says, for he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But before that says, if we confess. Which suggests to us that if you truly love him, and you will want to turn away from your wickedness, you will confess your sins. Here, here's the problem that some of us are having right now. We, we know we're in church, and we don't want anybody looking at us to find out that we sin. I'm, I'm here to let you know that everybody in this place is sin. All have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God. So don't get caught up somebody looking back at you trying to see if you're going to confess. Don't worry about them. They got their own stuff they got to handle. You go ahead and handle yours and say, Lord, I'm going to have me a funeral today. I'm going to bury these old ways and let them go and live a life for you. It's time out for you to to stop letting people stop you from letting go of what you need to let go of. Because you're scared of what they're going to say. Don't be scared of them. They have not a heaven nor a hell to put you in. They're not judged nor are they jury. They have truly no control. And cast this, even if you are on a jury and even if you may be a judge, I know one greater. And I can appeal to him any day, any time. Court is always in session. And I always got a lawyer on my side. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? So since you know him, why don't you just turn to him and lay your burdens down? Because he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Not only did he die, he was buried, but what, he rose again. And so if, my, if I died with him, my sins are buried with him, then I'm alive with him, then how am I living? I should be living in the spirit. He rose from the grave is our third element. This is the power of his resurrection, this power of his new life in us. If you look closely within this great letter of 1 Corinthians, this is the crux of the letter. For Paul, as he preaches this gospel message in the part of the letter to Corinth, he takes the time to emphasize that Jesus did rise from the grave. He gives eyewitnesses as an account, as proof, as evidence of his resurrection. He includes himself, 500 other believers, as well as Peter and his brother James. Proof we have now of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is our Bible, which gives the same account of these eyewitnesses that we can now rely upon and so know we can rely, rely on the evidence of him being alive in our lives. This part of Paul mentions about himself as a witness is to show his humility and his call of him because some suggested that maybe he Paul is not who he says he is. Paul let them know that I'm not here trying to brag. I am by I am. Anybody here the same way as Paul? I am what I am by the grace of God. And what I like about it is he said, that's why I work even harder. mm. Sometimes we, we need to understand by the grace we have been saved. So because of his grace, we need to work a little bit harder. Some, some have decided to give their life to Christ just to skate. You know what it means to skate, right? Just to get by. Just to coast. Some people just got saved, trying to lock themselves up in the room and said, let me die today. Because I know if I have to choose prove tomorrow, I might not live for him, but today I decide I'm going to. But do you understand what Christ told us that every day you got to choose to follow after me? You must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and what? Follow after me. And you know where he was going to. He was going to the cross. And so we see the symbolism here that if he went to the cross, I too must go to the cross. And, and if he died, I too must die to this world. And if he was buried, I too must bury my sins. And if he got up, I son sort of no, I too can get up to live again. So that's why Paul takes time to mention about the power of his resurrection. He is not trying to dis, dis, discredit himself but give credit to God. In this great ministry that he's doing. And says, he says this to them look closely here to the crux of this text, verses 12 to 19. He says, But tell me this since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? That's why I read verse 13 and 16, because you emphasize if you don't cast on what I'm saying, if there's no resurrection, then our Christ has not rose. If He has not rose, look what He says toward the end of those verses of, of nineteen and twenty. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. And that's something. Look at verse eighteen. It says in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Then he goes back a little bit further and says, my preaching is in vain. My, your faith is in vain. Be, it would be messed up if all that we believe was not true. It would be messed up that if this world was all that there was, then the rappers would have it right. I'm telling you, YOLO, you only live once. Because then they'll let you know that it's okay for you to still rob, and get what you want. Why? Because you only want to live once. So you might as well get it now because you can't get it later. But yet, when we look at this text, it suggests to us that if this was true, then look what Paul is saying. Why would I go through heartaches, trials, and tribulations put my life in danger if this was a lie? He points out to them that this is not a lie, that Christ did rise, because how do I know? I saw him for myself. And says, if you don't want to believe me, well, you believe Peter? Don't say you. You know he was with the twelve. He was selected and been with them. He saw him too. Oh, but if you don't want to believe him, there's 500 other brothers. When he says brethren, he means those who believe in the same gospel faith, who've seen My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you can go check with one of them. Because some of them, he says, some of them are still with us. We suggest to us as readers of this letter that they know who he's talking about. And so if he knows and they know who he's talking about, then they know what he knows that what he's preaching is true. And since what he's preaching is true, it's not in vain. It's not an empty faith, but it is a hope of everlasting salvation. Because he says, if Christ did not rise, look what happened. He says, then we are still lost in our sins. I don't know about you, but just think about how, if you were still lost in your sin, how would you feel today? if you knew that there was no hope and you were doomed to die and there was nothing more to life, wouldn't you feel disappointed to think that after all of this, this is what it is? That there is no hope? That there is no life? That there is nothing but void and emptiness? But Paul points out to them that look How he he gets excited. He says, but Christ did rise. (laughs) You see that in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvests or the first fruits of all who have died. For we too must see the same symbolism and symbolicness that if Christ was died and he was buried and he rose again, we too arise with him to be alive with him. And understanding what, why this gospel message has to be preached, because you understand death means to be absence of God. I understand how the biological sense of death means absence of life, but you'll know absence of life truly is absence of Christ. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the living bread. He says that I am the life and the resurrection. If you're not catching on what's pointing out, Jesus points out that everything involving him involves life. And when he speaks of life, he speaks of something that does not end. Death has an end. Life. Mm, 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 mm. Life does not have an end, so that's why when you, we we hear this oftentimes at funerals because we want to encourage those to understand what the Bible tells us where O oh, death is your victory, where O oh, death is your sting for the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through who our Lord. Jesus Christ because of this great gospel message it, it, it shows us this that he died for us he was buried for us he rose for us and then we see this symbolism that we too must die to our sins and bury our sins and rise to live for him but last element I want to give to us about this gospel message is that there's a response
1: to this gospel message
0: if If all you do is take the cake but never eat it, what good is the cake? It's just going to spoil, and you're never going to enjoy the cake that was made for you. And many times in our lives, we have allowed what God has given us to go to waste. Don't waste your life. Your life is a gift from God. And this gift that he's giving you, he gives you gifts upon gifts. Just look at the creation story. He made the earth for man. And then he gave man a whole bunch of things within the earth that he could have. He says, look, the, the beasts are yours. This is yours. Everything is yours. He gave it to man. He said, hey, you are responsible to take care of it. Be fruitful and multiply. God bless you. Man messed it up. But God didn't take it away from man. But man had to suffer the consequences. But he let, them, he let man know that there's going to be a time that I'm going to redeem everything back to myself. And it's going to come through the seed of the woman. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's pointing out this, that now that the gospel message, we re- received it and we realized that we've messed up. Now we got to walk in obedience, trusting God better than we ever had before. What is the response of this gospel message? Go back and look at John the Baptist and how they came to him in the wilderness. Do you understand that the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the soldiers came out to him saying, What must we do to change? Lord have mercy. They came out realizing that their life was in error. They were living in sin, and they acknowledged they sinned. That's why some of us need to get off our high and mighty horse and start realizing that we're not doing as well as we think we are and start saying, what must I do to change? I throw this one in for free. Sometimes we try to change everybody else. But we need to say, Lord, I need a change. And, and when I realize I need a change, our perspective change, and we find out everybody's not as bad as we thought they were. It was just us. A... For sin is corrupting us. And it's hurting us. For sin is a sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its
1: power. But thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Look what he says. So verse uh, 56, 58 So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable.
1: Always work
0: enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Isn't that good news? My preaching is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain. So go ahead and work for the Lord. It's not in vain, it's not worthless, it's not empty, it's not void, but it's worth something. For he, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, For he has resurrected us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Do you see that? We are called to do work because he has
1: redeemed us.
0: Part of this gospel message that we need to understand is not just we tell somebody that he died for you and he, and he was buried on the cross and he rose again. But part of that gospel message is that now we must live for him.
1: Help me preach that to you and tell you, you must live for him. See, we
0: need to make sure that when we find our hope in this gospel, it's not an intellectual process. It's not just something to have head knowledge of. It's something to have heart of. And when our heart is full of it, it's to come out in our words and how we communicate. It'll come out in our behaviors and our reactions. Let's it's think about how your body is trained to do certain things. If I, if, if, if I or somebody throws a ball at your face, your body's going to react to defend itself automatically. Even if your, reflex, your, your reflexes are not as fast as they used to be, <laughs> you, you, you still might get hit, but your eyes are going to close. And your body's gonna tiff gonna gonna it's gonna tighten up. You still may get hit, but your body has already started took the process of trying to defend itself the best it could. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes our reflexes slow down. But yet what well, I'm gonna encourage you is this, that you know how to keep your reflexes up, keep on working out. Mm, mm. Because the more you work out, the more your muscles will remember and the quicker they will respond to those things. And so what I'm trying to point out to us is that we need to stay in the spirit. And the more we stay in the spirit, the quicker we're going to respond how the spirit will respond in times that the enemy's trying to attack us. Because you understand he's throwing things your way. And so you can find out how you're going to respond without well, respond? under the influence of the Holy Spirit, or I'll respond, because my spirit has been weakened, it has not been developed, and so my flesh is going to come out first. Do you understand that? Garbage in, garbage out. That's why we need to fill ourselves with this gospel message. This gospel message tells us that there is a God who loves us, who died for us, who was buried for us, and rose again for the grave for us, so that we might live for him. In the great gospels, do you understand many times when he healed people and they were brought before him, he said something to them when they left, go and sin no more. So how is it that we know the gospel message, but we don't go and sin no more? Some of us need to be real with ourselves. We go and try to sin less instead of trying to go and sin no more. There's a difference. We go and try to less. Me and lie, I know I'm going to mess up, but I'm just going to do it not as much as I used to. Back in the day, it would have been the whole bottle. I just did half the bottle this time. Back in the day, it would have been to three in the morning, but I came back at midnight this time. We, we draw limits that I'm not as bad as I used to be. Well, that's that, praise God for his grace and his mercy. But if you so sure enough been saved, you should realize that you should not be bad at all. This gospel message shows us that I should have buried my sins. I should be dead to that way of life, living for him, for his kingdom, so my work will not be in vain. Because you understand that what Paul says is, I try to work myself in fashion so that my preaching will not be in vain. you understand that we might do good works for the Lord, but we might not see the benefits because we did it in vain? I'm trying to leave you alone
1: but Jesus said this that many will come saying i done the, all these miracles I've healed i raised I made the blind to see in your name he'll say to them depart from me I do not know you you doers of evil and, and think about it.
0: they said that they did all these things in his name but he's going to say I
1: do not know you this reminds me of what he says to, to many of the, the Pharisees. They say, you honor me with your lips, but your heart
0: is far from me. What I want to encourage is in this gospel message that we can't just speak the gospel message and not have it in our heart. This hope of this gospel message is that there is a Lord who died for us in our place, who was buried in our place. But he rose again, and when he rose, he rose so that we might rise again. Because there's something more than this life. You understand what I said to us, his resurrection, and when he speaks life, he means life for eternity. Do you understand life for eternity means it being life with him and life forever in his presence? If you need assistance, look in the beginning of Genesis. When God opened up this world to us and showed us in this Bible how he created the heavens and the earth so that he could be with man and man could be with him. But what stopped from man being with him? Sin. And so God says, I have to remove sin, I have to remove this, this curse, I have to remove this pain and suffering from us. And because of sin, what else entered us? Death. And because sin and death has entered in, that has brought separation from us and God. And God says, the only way I can fix it, if I step in, and he came in and stepped in flesh or form, died on the cross for our sins, and he was buried in a grave, but three days later he did rise with all power in his hand, and is high and exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father. The Hebrews right, said he's interceding on our behalf. The great high priest, that Knows what we're going through, knows our pains, knows our troubles, knows our trials, knows our issues, and so enough is willing to hear everything we have to say. All we got to do is call on the name of Jesus, and you shall be saved. It's amazing how the mountains will tremble and the waters will move, but our God will keep us in the midst of it all. Because that's the gospel message. That he wants to have life and have life what? More abundantly means what? That there's more than a billion dollars. There's more than a big house. There's more than a fancy car. But there's a kingdom that's going to come that has no end.
1: Oh, glory be to God.
0: The gospel message is that my life is worth more than this world. So which means that don't let somebody put value on you telling you are not cute enough because you don't have designer clothes on. You're not beautiful enough because you can't be a picture on a magazine cover. You're not good enough because you don't live in this side of town. You're not great enough because you didn't graduate with this kind of a degree from this place of college. I want you to look at them and put a smile on your face and say, I'm so glad that you're not God because God knows I'm not good enough. God knows I'm not smart enough. God knows I wasn't good enough, but he so up, love me enough that he died in my place. And look here, he don't talk me down. He built me up so I can be with him. Do you see the gospel message? How he loves us so much. He doesn't push us down. He says, I'll bring you up to my level. So just wait till the skies break and that trumpet sounds And one day we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye to be like him. But while we wait, there's some work
1: to be done. Is our living in vain? It sure is not. Because he is alive. He's alive in us. He's alive for real. And we know he's real. And we need to tell this gospel message. Because there's some people down with heads bowed down and hearts broken thinking that this is all my life. When they lost their loved one, they lost their job, they lost
0: their house, they lost their car. Whatever calamity came upon them, they put so much value, so much in that. And it is dead and it is gone and it's never coming back. That's where you could let them know that everything in this world is going to die. But Christ has promised us that we might have life for he is the life and the resurrection. So he says those who believe in him, though they may die yet. They shall live. So let them know. You can say goodbye to that house, because in my father's house, it's room in many mess. Anybody here glad that you don't have to pack anything up to go to his kingdom because he's preparing a place for you? Mm. Mm. I'm going to leave you alone by this door. This one for free. Just think about it. Just think about how when you want to board an airplane to go to your favorite destination you you got to try to find a certain kind of uh, uh, airplane carrier that won't charge you for your luggage. And as you're trying to negotiate if you want to pay for extra luggage because you know you want to bring some stuff back, you want to make sure you have enough room so you can bring it back. But I'm going to let you understand that our God got a destination for us, and you don't need to check any luggage. You don't need to worry about bringing anything back because everything he's got is yours over there in his kingdom. So just tell your neighbor, just hold on. Just wait just a little while longer. But so no. enough, good day. neighbor. the Lord bless you real good. But on your way home, you ought to tell somebody that the gospel message is real. And my Lord is real. And he's got a place for me over there in glory. So I don't live for, t- I don't live for this world.
1: But I live for him. But I live for him. Let's turn to him and pray. Lord, we come. Thank you, God. For this gospel. Thank you, Lord. For saving us. Thank you, Lord. For rescuing us. Thank you, Lord, for being our hope. Being our joy. Be in our peace. Be in our comfort. Thank you, Lord, for in times of darkness, in times of depression, in times of hurt and anguish, your word brought us through. But we thank you that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. and Lord, we trust you. We depend on you. And we are grateful that we'll never be disappointed because all that you have for us is ours and every promise lord in you is an amen you are faithful you are wonderful And lord we pray if there's someone here who decided today to give their life to you but we pray that you help us to disciple them and teach them this great gospel so that they will see the response in their life how to live for you as we do this together lord we realize that we are not perfect but it's by your grace we are who we are and lord we want to give you all the glory and all the honor about how hard we work for your glory and for your honor for it's not about us oh lord but unto you receive all the glory and dominion and power Jesus, and Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. May we rise. Arrive-